We live inside a dream. Well, I'm a running down the road trying to loosen my load. I've got seven women on my mind. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yeah. Take It Easy, the podcast about the band The Eagles. My name is Josh Ass, and <laughs> <laughs> joining me today is... Uh, wow. Oh, uh, my, uh, yeah, name. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Jeremy Schmidt. Fuck! I should have came up with a <laughs> better name than that. Josh Ass is just perfect. Yeah. You know, I just started... Uh, I kind of like uh, against my own will have sort of started to like the Eagles a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, and it started with that song. It started with, I can't, I can't get that song out of my head The take it easy. Yeah. It's a good song. You know, I heard that one of the best doc, like music documentaries of all time is that Eagles documentary, which I have not seen yet, but I feel like, so I've heard, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I, th- I think I've got, there's like a couple of the hits that I've been, that I've been listening to. What's the, the other one is a uh, night Nightingale. Oh, the, one, the other one I was listening to. So you're going like not hits. You're not doing the, like, I guess maybe that is a hit, but I, I always think of like Desperado or oh. Ca- Hotel yeah, California as being like the big ones. And then take, I, I well, I'll tell you, I listened to, I basically, I listened to the, uh, is it just their self-titled album that that, that has? Uh, hold on, let me let me figure this out for you because people are dying to. Yeah, Eagles. It's just called Eagles. Oh, okay, great, great. So that's the only album I've listened to, and I the, a couple songs on that. But Jeremy, we're not here to talk about the Eagles. Uh, in fact, I would be surprised if anyone's still listening at this point. Uh, two white men talking about talking about the eagles but right. uh, no we are we're two white men uh talking about stanley kubrick right yes uh the whitest director who's ever lived no that's probably not true but i do think that barry Lyndon, the film we're covering today might be the whitest movie ever made <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> but yeah. It's, even that's not fair because it's not what i mean what do we mean by white i guess just like everyone's faces are literally painted white <laughs> might be I, I mean, part of it yeah <laughs> in terms of skin tone uh it yeah. probably is yeah maybe yeah the exactly whitest. yeah uh barry linden this is the who cares how many number into his the, the kubrick filmography but it comes after clockwork orange and before the shining yeah. Oh, before I forget, uh, so we were talking about what to do because uh, we we did a two part episode on The Shining. If you haven't heard it, it's really good. Uh, one part we talk about in part one, we talk about sort of the conspiracies around the film, and then in the second part, we talk more about the production and the and the the plot. Um, so we were discussing if we should do another Shining episode, uh, and we we threw around the idea of maybe covering Doctor Sleep, maybe covering. Um, what the fuck's it called? The the two thousand one uh, oh, sequel. Oh right. Yes. Yeah. We so, should cover both of those for sure. But maybe Doctor Sleep for the to replace Shining. I don't know. Well, here's here's the thing. 
Uh, and I, I'm open to covering either of those. I have heard that both of those movies suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Even Dad Wears Glasses was like, yeah, Doctor Sleep, I mean, it's... You have to read the book, and even then, it's like not that good. It sounds like mm, mm-hmm. so. I did the math uh, in my head last night, Jeremy, and it was not very complicated because we don't have too many movies left to go. But uh, <laughs> basically, if we skip, uh, if we just straight up skip The Shining and keep going Lynch Kubrick, Lynch Kubrick, we will it will like even out at the end, and then we'll get to the return. Oh, great. Um, and that's factoring in if we if we do AI, which I think we should. I think we should do AI. I love it. Uh, yes, that'll supplement like another Kubrick film for us. Yes. So, uh, how does that sound to you? Because because I just I really think that like like I would watch The Shining again, and I would I could talk for hours about that movie. But those are like those two Shining episodes are like two of my favorite episodes we've ever done, and mm-hmm. I don't really want to like overshadow them. Bro, if you think I care about what you're talking about right now, you've <laughs> got right. another thing coming, brother. Oh, all right, all right. So we'll so we'll, we'll skip the shining. If you want to hear us talk about the shining, there's t- two hours of it uh, back in October. You can listen to and uh, you know. Uh, so yeah, we'll 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 do that, and then a- after after uh, eyes wide shut, when we get to the end, there we'll do we'll do AI. That'll be fun. Um, but yeah, also a little bit of David Lynch news up top. I don't know if you saw this, Jeremy. He started doing the the weather reports. Again. I did see that. It's yeah. you know not a lot of content there, but a lot of heart, and that's what we appreciate yeah. about the Lynch man. That's what I love about this fan base at this point is he could literally like accidentally post some like post like a picture, like not knowing on like Twitter, like just mm-hmm. like a mundane picture of like his shoe or something and people would freak out and like read into it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. It's great to hear from David Lynch over there though. Uh, oh yeah. It's nice. Yeah. He's looking, you know, time. I gotta say he's looking a little old and it's a bummer. I, I, I hate, I hate seeing the, the greats, the legends, my heroes age and get on with their life. It's a very sad thing to know that he might not be with us for, you know, too incredibly much longer, but um, yeah. On, on that note, we did, didn't we? Just we lost, we lost somebody too, didn't we? Just recently, somebody. Yeah, who the hell did we just lose? It was. Uh, yeah. I mean, we lost. We've been losing some great, uh, some great musicians out there. Um, yes, yes, uh, we we have. Um, but I'm trying to look. Ugh, I hate googling deaths of 2020. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, but it, oh, Jerry Stiller was. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Jerry Stiller, yeah. Je- funny guy, funny guy. Oh Jerry man, Stiller. one of the one of the greats, one of my yeah. faves. Yeah, such a bummer. So, anyways, I forgot who tweeted it, but someone said the funny, the funny Jerry on Seinfeld. Yes, <laughs> oh, like a <laughs> knife in, in the heart. Yeah. See yeah. you later, um, Seinfeld. Are you gonna watch his special or what? He's got a special coming out. It's already out. I think it's on Netflix. Okay. Nah, nah, probably <laughs> not. I think I'm I'm done. I'm I'm good on stand-up specials. You know. I th- yeah. I think I'm. I don't know, man. I think I think I'm just. Uh, I'm j- uh, maybe I'll come back to him one of these days. But it's I think just, you should uh, do one. Doesn't do it for me. I think I should do one. Yeah, I think you should do a stand-up special. I'll produce it and direct it, and then <laughs> okay. you can do it. 
Or maybe we'll get Lynch yeah. to direct it if he's still around. Oh my god. Yeah. I would watch it. I would watch a David Lynch stand-up special. <laughs> you know the problem with that though is he would probably do like I know he's buddies with uh who's the British guy with the long hair that was in Get Him to the Greek? Oh, um yes. That guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he would he would it would probably be with that guy. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm. But Jeremy, we Russell we don't Brand. have to talk about. Yes, Russell Brand. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Before I forget, I, I always forget about this. Uh, Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, we're doing bonus episodes over there almost weekly. Uh, we're covering Tales from the Crypt, covering 90s comedy movies. Uh, we're about to record an episode on uh, The Cable Guy, which I'm really excited about. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, for the time being, uh, when you're listening to this, it's, it's $1 and you can get access to our back catalog of some of our best episodes and, and, and our newer, uh, bonus episodes, uh, while this pandemic thing is going on. Uh, and yeah, so that's that. And, uh, Barry Lyndon, Jeremy, have you, so this was my first time seeing Barry Lyndon. It sounds like you've seen it before right i have in fact seen this movie one other time before in college so this would be my second time to see it okay what what was your what do you think in in (laughs) college what did you think of it okay so i remember when i watched this in college i remember thinking to myself a lot of the same thoughts that i thought while watching this time around and I will say that my my takeaway the first time I saw it was this might be my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. This might be it. This might be my favorite one of all of them. Um, okay. And I, uh, but you know, I've only seen it once and didn't revisit it all these years, almost a decade plus later after I've seen it. Whereas Shining, Clockwork, two thousand one, Eyes Wide Shut multiple times I've seen since then. So I don't know if that's more of a comment on, you know, that this film is kind of hard to access. Cause I think until streaming it, I don't know if it was the easiest film to get your hands on. It definitely was not included in my big Stanley Kubrick bo- DVD box set that I got when I was, you know, a little bit younger, but I think I remember seeing this in the VHS days, days at Blockbuster right. and noticing that it was like a two VHS yes. box. Oh, for sure. If not yeah. three. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> I've never seen the triple VHS, but I'm, I'm, I wonder if there is a film out there with triple VHS. But uh, yeah, no, I think that like it is on the criterion now, I believe. And it's also, I rented it on Amazon. So it's, you know, you can find it now. But I also remember this being the Stanley Kubrick film that not a lot of people talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's like the curious thing about this movie to me is it's... Because it is, it's it's very good and it's... it's uh, I mean, there's a few things. There's, uh, I mean, obviously the length is a little bit of a hurdle. It's definitely factor factored into like me wa- wanting to sit down and watch this. Yeah. Um, so something. This is more like just a weird quirk that I have, but I, uh, I, I kind of for some reason like this 
sort of like era of a biopic mm-hmm. I, it sort of like doesn't interest me too much right i thought i was going to be bored by this movie i thought right. i was going to be like really boring so my expectations were were quite low right um but and did i that, didn't know what it was about did that help you going in that or i mean i'm sure it was a hurdle that you had to get over in order to turn it on because we oftentimes will just like skip out on a movie that we either are not interested in or seems too long, even if it's been recommended to us, but because you had to watch it and you had low expectations, do you think that you enjoyed the film more thinking you were going to like it less? Or did you like it about as much as you thought you were going to? Oh, I, I just didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're on your own for this one. Yeah. No, uh, okay. Uh, opening credits start with a title slide. Uh <laughs> Uh, no, I think I think uh, I think it all like I I had a very pleasant experience with this movie. I, mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. It's not my favorite Kubrick movie. Um, it's probably somewhere in the middle there. But I I do really. I mean, even being like one of the worst Kubrick movies is like still a good still a good movie. I, I'm just gonna. So, I guess yeah. I could say this to the end, but my opinion of it after watching it the second time actually has not changed. This actually remember. Rem- this actually remains to be my favorite Kubrick movie. So love it. Let's know that going in that when, you know, when I'm giving insight or whatever I'm talking about, just know it's like, I'm absolutely obsessed with this film, but I think you're abs you're absolutely right. That one definite reason why I probably also haven't sought it out or turned it on since I watched it 10 years ago is the length. It is three hours and five minutes long. And just an absolute beast of a movie. I mean, we were talking off air just a little bit that I actually had to watch the this time in hour long bursts. Um, there is an intermission. It's the old, it's the second and last of Kubrick's films to have an intermission. And I think you might be able to do like the first half one day, second half next day if you can stomach it. Um, you know, I I don't even think that's like a bad way to watch watch the film. But I will say that. Just because this is my favorite Kubrick movie, I don't even foresee myself watching it a ton in the next upcoming years. It might be another 10 years before I ever turn Barry Lyndon on again. Whereas, you know, I'll watch The Shining right now. It's not like... uh, Yeah, this is the kind of movie where if if I still watched like cable television and this was on on like a Sunday afternoon, I would turn it on. Right. I would turn it on if it was on and sit there for like three hours and watch it with commercials. <laughs> but like the idea of like choosing to watch a three hour movie and like planning for it is like, I don't know. For like sure. right now we're in like a weird time where I just have an excess amount of free time where this like, this was actually great. This was, it, it could have gone on longer for me, honestly. <laughs> um, I think like, but I do think, and I guess we'll talk more about this. I do think that like, uh, this probably could have shaved like a half hour off of this. I do think yeah. there's there's something to the length of it that it's sort of like necessary for for the whole thing to work. But I I think it could have been you know a little bit a little bit shorter. Yeah, but, and uh, please while we're yeah. going through the plot, especially uh, throw out parts that you think could have been trimmed or done away with yeah. altogether, and I'll do the same because I totally agree. But I also feel that way about all of Kubrick's movies. There's hardly any of his movies that I think are perfect length, if that makes sense. Like, I kind of think they all overindulge themselves a little bit. And we've brought up, I mean, in every 
every, all of our coverage of Kubrick stuff we've brought up like times we thought we could cut stuff for sure. It's like not, this isn't even, I think a controversial opinion about Kubrick is that, yeah, his, his movies tend to be a little overindulgent and go on just a little bit, maybe longer than necessary. I think that's with the exception of two movies. I think Dr. Strangelove and the shining might be, might have like almost Mm. no fat on them to trim, but uh, the rest of them, I'm kind of like, you could have not had this scene <laughs> or, or something anyways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, this, it's just so long. Like I've edited things before and there's certain <laughs> things you can do where like, just shave like a second or two off of him galloping through the forest, uh, yeah. here and there, shave a couple of things off here and there. And, you know, as uh, after you know it, you, you've got, it's 20 minutes shorter. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you can, you can be a little go. bit no, more. No more intermission. It's just now a standard movie length. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah that's that, that definitely could have gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love the intermission actually. I, <laughs> I didn't I know so that was, too, yeah. I didn't know that was coming. I also um, love like, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit in the trivia of the film, but like the part one and part two of the movie was apparently super inspiring to a lot of other filmmakers. Like, Lars von Trier is is cited to have said that it's like the reason why he puts like title cards in to his movies, like because Barry Lyndon had such a profound, that like framing device has such a profound effect on him as a creative, which I think is crazy because it is just like part one and part two, (laughs) but yeah, I guess maybe that wasn't super common or maybe, there was some sort of artistic choice behind like why the parts were divided the way they were. Like, why is it a movie in two parts, right? Cut in half. Cause I guess you think about a normal movie, it's like three to five acts long, most likely three, but this seems to be a movie in two parts. So what does that mean for like the way the story is being told? Anyways, um, what do we got here as far as the, uh, as far as the crew? Yeah, okay. So this case, the bad boy came out in 75, uh, obviously directed, produced by Kubrick, uh, based on 1844 novel uh, The Luck of Barry Lyndon by William Makepeace Thackeray. Uh, didn't read this one, but uh, <laughs> stars Ryan O'Neill, Marissa uh, Berenson, Patrick McGee, Leonard Rossiter, Hardy Krueger. Uh, Hardy Krueger. Leon Vitale, who's the... Pro- I mean... It's weird that he doesn't get a higher billing because I think he's very—he's one of the most important people in this movie and he gets a lot of screen time. It's the son. Mm. I thought I saw another guy from who is in two thousand one also that's in this. I couldn't remember. Is it? Ooh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, so Kubrick uh, began production on the film after uh, *Clockwork Orange*. Uh, Kubrick, I think we've talked about this. He wanted to do a Napoleon biopic for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, I read about it a bit in, in those books that he, he, he kind of got, he, he, he was pretty obsessed with Napoleon and really wanted, it was doing a lot of research to do, get a Napoleon film going. Uh, he lost the financing for it because of the commercial failure of a similar film called Waterloo. Uh, Kubrick eventually directed Barry Lyndon, set during the Seven Years' War, utilizing his research from his Napoleon project. So, mm. yeah, 
uh, uh, his idea, his big idea to, was to have Jack Nicholson play Napoleon, which I always thought was. Oh, I didn't know that. Was that would, like it's such an be insane great. casting. Like, yeah, we just wouldn't do that today, you know, because Napoleon is notably very short and also French, and so you'd probably cast a French actor to play Napoleon. But the Kubrick was like, no, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yep, I want the Joker. Uh. <laughs> Uh, cinematography has been described as groundbreaking, especially notable are the long double shots, uh, usually ended with a slow backward zoom, uh, scenes shot entirely in candlelight and the settings based on William Hogarth paintings, which I noticed a couple of them. I I mean, obviously there's the, uh, the bridge, the bridge one with the, the umbrella, um, I think in part two or towards the middle there. Uh, but the, yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple of them where I was like, "Yeah, that's a. It's definitely a painting." Oh, uh, yeah. Which I think is interesting. Wait, so he used paintings for backgrounds? No, he used paintings for um, literally, liter- literally like the way the shot looks. Right, like inspiration. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, I know. He also cast people particularly because they looked like they belonged in those types of paintings. So for example, I think the Reverend, you know, the tutor for the family, the guy with like the nose that's like way high in the air. You know what I'm talking about? Um, say that again. The, you know, you know, the Reverend character in, in the film that he like marries Barry Lyndon to his wife. He like lives with them. He's like, he's like the tutor to the family. Like uh-huh. his casting, it's like almost like he's ripped right out of a painting. Like, like a lot of the people, the choices of people were cast based on looking like they were they belonged in a Renaissance era painting. Mm. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Like how it's like the faces just have like that quality to them, where they it yeah. is sort of just stuffy British face, but it's like it's almost monstrous how some of the people look and and how they're done up you know like even charles linden looks like a person who just belongs in a painting as opposed to belonging like as a real person off screen or like on screen you know um Mm. there's a shot in particular where you get to barry linden like where he's drunk and depressed where his son comes and like taps him on the shoe and like challenges challenges him to a duel and in that shot i swear to god one of the guys in the background is a painting like he, I swear to God, he's a painting. I have no proof, <laughs> but he's absolutely still the entire time. And he just doesn't look real. He looks drawn. It's the weirdest thing. It's like a lot of these shots are composed like paintings, I guess is the, the point. Are you going to talk about the, um, the Zeiss lens? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, you probably know more about it than me. Right. But it's, it's, uh, it's basically a, a, a camera. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you, t- you talk about it. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just going to read right off the IMDB. It's like basically, um, so contrary to legend, apparently this movie did actually use some artificial lighting in some scenes. So the legend for people who don't know this about Barry Lyndon already is that Stanley Kubrick Hat was using state-of-the-art cameras that didn't need artificial artificial light to light the scenes. So he used candlelight for nighttime and just shot outside during the day for daytime and didn't need like to bring in lights or have like lighting equipment. Well, apparently that's not entirely true. They say, for example, when Brian learns he's getting a horse, that scene was lit. 
however, it is true that no electronic lighting was used for the candlelit scenes. So the, the what would be the more challenging scenes to actually light, no, no uh, artificial light was used. It was all candlelit. A lens built by Carl Zeiss Company for NASA, a 50-millimeter Zeiss lens modified with the Cole Morgan adapter used in camera used still in cameras uh, was used to shoot scenes lit only by candle. The lens had the largest aperture of any ever built for movie use. So that means that yeah, and the st- and the legend goes hmm. further that that Kubrick actually stole these cameras. <laughs> he oh really? He, yeah, yeah. He went into uh, I think it was like Warner Brothers office or something and was like. Oh yeah, can I get these cameras? And they were like, "Uh, well, this is these are there's only two of these in the world." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know. I, they they told me I could have them. They they signed off on them." And then like, they just signed off these cameras to <laughs> Kubrick because he was Kubrick, and he walked out and like no one had given him clearance for it. He just like wanted the cameras. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're they're incredibly rare, and they shoot at such a low light uh, frequency that it's. It's sort of like even, and I will say, like the sh- I think the film looks stunning, but you can really tell that, like, oh my god, there is like no other light other than what those candles are emitting in these scenes. So a lot of the night shots are like really dark, but yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, but that's but yeah, I would say that the camera, like him getting those cameras and using these NASA <laughs> cameras, was is probably the only thing I knew about the movie going in like that's like the only story or anecdote people tell about Barry Lyndon. Like there, it's, yeah. there's not a lot of other stuff you hear. Like you always hear stuff about clockwork orange in 2001 and how they did this and how they built that and, and what Kubrick was going through. But like, like I don't know any of the other stories surrounding Barry Lyndon other than they use good cameras. No, me neither. That's that's like the one thing that I knew about this movie. Um, my uh, one of my favorite anecdotes from the Emilio uh, de Alessandro book, Stanley Kubrick and me. Uh, he's talking about Kubrick was. They were over filming in uh, in in Ireland for a long time, mm-hmm. and Emilio lived. Uh, Emilio was uh, Kubrick's former assistant, uh, and and. Uh, Emilio still lived in in London or somewhere somewhere around London, and he would fly back and forth uh, to Ireland to, to to work to help on the film. And he would always bring stuff for Kubrick. He would always bring all this tons of different crap. And it got to a point where he at at the Heathrow Airport, he just kind of like got to know like the TSA guys and stuff and the security, oh, and they just got awesome. used to him bringing like all sorts of weird shit. Like there's. He, like he was like bringing like, you know, uh, some of the like antique like guns and stuff that he used yeah. and like all this like crazy shit. And uh, they kind of got used to this guy like just bringing like wild stuff over over into Ireland. And uh, this this story he tells is uh, one time he he goes to the he goes to the airport and he's got like a whole suitcase or two, um, maybe not a whole suitcase full, but like a like in a suitcase like a huge supply of coffee because stanley only liked coffee from one one place in london of course um, and he wanted to bring bring the grounds over uh so emilio thought that he was just bringing over this coffee and uh 
all of a sudden like the security in the airport is like drawing guns on him and and they're and they're like freaking out and he's like you know you, you know who i am i don't have anything it's just coffee or whatever mm-hmm. um and then they dig through it and uh what they found was uh condoms <laughs> Stan- kubrick kubrick and uh Christiane, his his wife, were, were, were living over in Ireland while he was filming. And this is an excerpt from the book. It says, Ireland was a Catholic country and you couldn't buy condoms anywhere. So Margaret, oh. one of the other assistants, had bought a box of them in London and had disguised it as a pack of coffee. At least oh. apparently the pack contained film production material. Uh, so they paid for delivery. Um, but apparently this became like... Uh, like he got ribbed for this all the time, like by Kubrick. Oh my <laughs> people, god, that's so funny. His coworkers, yeah. That is I thought that so, was so awesome. Weird. Yeah, yeah, that's because like right great. before this, he's talking about how he's bringing over like muskets and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, and those are and fine. Like out. you can yeah. walk those onto an airplane, but a condom is like you're going to prison, pal. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's see. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I to be honest with you, I didn't find like a ton of riveting uh, behind the scenes stuff from in my in my research. I mean, I, it, it took a very long time to make this movie. It took like two years for them to film it. Yeah, essentially. I believe it. There's a lot here, and you know, this is another movie where some when you get into some of like the reading or researching behind it, you start to learn. Oh, yeah, this is another prime example of stanley kubrick doing so many takes with his actors that he like makes them so angry that they become insufferable and they become almost near riotous like ryan o'neill the main character is like i think his famous quote is like uh you know upon like the 50th take of doing a scene he turns to stanley kubrick and says how about this you come over here and you do my scene and i'll go over there and i'll pretend to be you to stanley kubrick (laughs) like jesus yeah i mean it's just like he just tortured people which at this point i'm kind of like maybe word around the rumor mill should have gotten out more like did you not know this going in that you were gonna that you know kubrick was gonna be demanding i I guess maybe that's not, not even a fair question because maybe he's working people more than they should be worked who knows but um other than that i did read that this is also Martin Scorsese's favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, I'm in good company here with uh, Marty Marty Score. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, this I will yeah. say this, Eric, before we dive into the plot. This movie is incredibly long, and mm. the plot is incredibly long. <laughs> so maybe yeah, do is. you want to take part one, and I'll take part two. And let's let's do it. I feel like also maybe some of the more interesting conversation is going to be more around specific parts of the plot as opposed to the entire plot. Like I don't know, yeah, if just like reading the plot verbatim is is going to be the most interesting way to do this podcast. So maybe when we come across something that we find interesting, we hang out there for a while and then just breeze through some of this other stuff because I feel like. Um, there are like seminal moments of the film and some of them do take quite a big wind up to get there, but not everything in this is like worth just 
I don't know. <laughs> like, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So a guy touches his cousin's boob. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's um, great. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I guess you, yeah, you, you go ahead and take part one. I'll take part two. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm bad at skimming. So let's see. Uh, ba- so yeah, basically Barry becomes infatuated with his, his cousin, mm-hmm. Nora Brady. Uh, yeah. she charms him during a card game. <laughs> uh, Nora and her family plan to leverage their finances through marriage, while Barry holds Quinn in contempt and escalates the situation to a duel. Okay, John Quinn. So John Quinn is like the British Army captain. Yeah, and uh, we should I probably see. say that we start we start with like Barry's dad is killed in a duel, and oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and like his family is like they're they're Irish, right? So they're just like mm. hanging out in Ireland. Yeah, they're in Dublin. Yeah. Or no, he flees to Dublin, but they're in Ireland. So it's, you know, it's just an Irish family, farm family. The stakes aren't particularly high, like globally with this family, right? They're not like a high society people necessarily. Right. Right. And Barry, yeah, Barry shoots Quinn uh, thinking that he killed him. Yeah. Uh, a lot of duels uh, in this movie. So this is the second duel we've seen yeah. already. And it's maybe only been 30 minutes. So it's like... <laughs> Yeah, Stanley Kubrick added the duels from what I from what I've read. Uh, <laughs> there are no duels in the in the text. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, that's insane. So that's actually really good to know because I would say this movie is about duels. <laughs> if yeah. you, if you asked me to say what is one of the biggest themes of the film, I would have said duels. <laughs> yeah, they are the best. They're the best part. For yeah, sure. and uh, well, and the, the and the fact that the film is in two parts, right? Like two things, duel. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just for some reason just had this idea of twos. Like there's two things, double things happening, double lives or whatever, double. You know, he he changes his name to Barry Lyndon from Barry Redmond Barry, which is like, uh, anyways, go on. Uh, yeah, so he flees uh, to Dublin, and he's robbed by a uh, by Captain Feeney, a highwayman. <laughs> That's. I feel like if I was alive in these times, I would be a highwayman. Oh yeah, that means. I would be Just exactly ca- like, like Captain Feeney, <laughs> robbing. Yeah. Just being like a general degenerate, like robbing uh idiots like like uh th- it is really funny i i do like the humor in this movie a lot like it's very funny yeah uh, it's like to me it feels like a very toned down monty python that's what it yeah. feels like yeah yeah the, yeah, yeah I, like when barry is riding off uh, when he's like setting out to dublin there's just that shot of him like galloping away on the horse and then mm-hmm. he starts going in another direction it's very funny yeah oh uh, yeah dude uh, I, and expect, I, I also think that. uh captain feeney is like uh, with the duel and captain feeney's scene kind of having common to me is the way that they're paced so but it's one thing i want to mention about barry Lyndon is like this movie is not just long it's paced long like the scenes like you were saying eric like they it's like they could cut like to, um, almost a minute before they actually do like the pacing of them they draw out every moment very slowly and i think that's why that's how the movie works the way that it does well is that it's it, it almost has a rhythm to it but it's like not a rhythm that you're used to even for kubrick i i think this is pretty uh slow sterile and cold and i think it's mm. like some sort of comment on like maybe just culture back then on how polite society worked. Cause like there's a scene with captain Feeney. He's a highwayman. He robs Barry Lyndon, but he does it in the most polite way possible. And that's like, it's like a scene that is very humorous, but also I think a comment on like, 
you know, just how slow and they don't really have a lot going on, but, and, and everyone's too embarrassed to be mean or like angry. So you just see Captain Feeney politely ask uh, Barry Lyndon to get off his horse and give him his money. Mm. And even when Barry Lyndon bre- uh, like uh, begs for his stuff back, all Captain Feeney can say is like, um, your story is very compelling, but I must deny your request. It's like, it's almost like a, <laughs> like a, so it's so formal, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway. um, this was the point where I was like starting to like the movie, by the way, because I was like, oh, okay, I get it. We're going to go on this like journey. I like this kind of movie. I can't like think of another one off the top of my oh, head. Oh, dude, but Cheech I like and this, Chong. This kind of format. Okay, yeah. It's like yeah. a ro- it's a road movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, d- uh, Barry joins the British Army. Uh, he encounters Captain Grogan, a family friend. Grogan informs him that Barry did not kill Quinn, and that his dueling pistol had been loaded with tow. Uh, the duel was staged by Nora's family to get rid of Barry so that their finances would be secured through a lucrative marriage. Yes. Very funny that he ends up on the run for no reason. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And also, we met uh, Grogan earlier. He's kind of a good... He's good, He's a great character, I think. He's like a kind of a... I don't know what you call him. Like a, almost like a... The, the guy from Rocky who's the the coach from Rocky or whatever, William right. Meredith, whatever Meredith Burgess. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a fun character. I also thought that toe was T O E watching the film. So I was like, what? He shot him with a toe. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> quite understand. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Barry is sent to Germany to fight in the, uh, seven years war. Grogan is fatally wounded in a skirmish. Uh, I cannot, I I cannot believe that this is what war was like. <laughs> oh, I know. Days. It's everyone just, just charging. Everyone just yeah. get knocked down one after the other. It's so funny to think that <laughs> it's only it's only been pretty recent that we decided it's better to like duck and hide. <laughs> yeah. Like armies just came at each other straight on. These are some of my favorite shots. Like the way Kubrick directs these. Uh, just like uh, literal armies is crazy. And I think there's a lot of humor in those too. Like you were saying, like, like the horse riding off and then riding off in the other direction is very funny. And just like watching hordes of men walk, like, like I would say that there's like a, it feels cheeky almost to like have them all like get mowed down by firepower. You just can see how wrong this feels, right? Like, it feels like the unusual thing in a sketch or something. Like, why would an yeah. army be so stupid? I think, and I think there is this dark sense of humor that underlines the whole thing. Even when Grogan dies and and Barry is is there holding him and kissing him on the mouth as he's dying, uh, <laughs> it's it's very like there's something almost ironic about it. Like, it doesn't feel sad necessarily because these people you're not rooting for anyone, so. Um, so yeah. Um, let's see. Barry deserts the army, uh, stealing an officer's officer courier's uniform, horse and identification papers after discovering the officer is a homosexual. Uh, he goes to Holland, uh, and encounters Fro Lieschen, a young German woman whose lover left for the war and never returned. Yeah. This I'd cut. (laughs) I'd cut, yeah, I'd, I'd probably cut this. Yeah. yeah, 
I do like this lady. I like that actress. I do too. Um, and I thought it was a nice moment, but when you're considering the length, like doesn't they, don't they just hook up and then he goes away? He just leaves yeah. and then nothing, you never hear from her again. Yeah. So Yeah. Uh yeah. So uh after leaving Barry encounters the Prussian captain Potsdorf, who sees uh through his disguise, offers him the choice of being turned back over to the British where he will be shot as a uh, deserter or enlisted in the Prussian army. Uh, Barry enlists in his second army and later receives a special commendation from Frederick the Great for saving Podsdorf's uh, life in battle. Yeah, okay. So uh, two years go by. Uh, The war ends. Barry is employed by uh, Captain Podsdorf's uncle in the Prussian Ministry of Police, uh, to become a servant of the Chevalier de Balibari, mm-hmm. an itinerant professional gambler. Okay, so I didn't exactly like understand what the situation was. He's here. a spy. the The guy that he goes to work for is a spy, and the Prussians know it. So they hired Barry to go, I guess, deliver information to them. But as soon as Barry sees that he's an Irish man he breaks down and starts crying and admits exactly what he's there to do, which is be a spy. And they actually Mm. form a kind of a cool con artist relationship with each other where they, like they actually become a team and they work against the Prussians and they both uh, do this to escape the Austria and get to Ireland where they will don't have to hide anymore and aren't being pursued by the law and, Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, it. Yeah, and, and and they cheat at cards. They're like card gamblers. So they like they like they like help each other cheat at cards and yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll notice yeah. the cheval. Uh, what's his name? The chevalier or whatever. His accent changes a bunch because like when he's around Barry, he talks like an Irishman, and when he's around other people, he talks like he's supposed to be Austrian or Prussian. You know, like he's supposed to. <laughs> not be an irish spot anyway yeah i love this card table uh scene by the way it's very fun i like all these characters all these characters in like this part mm-hmm. uh are pretty pretty great and weird yes they're also like again they're so stuffy like so stuffy british weirdos like the scene are you talking about the card the card game where the guy won't pay and so yeah. they, they have to have the sword duel <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 um let's see where are we here uh the prussians arrange for the chevalier to be expelled from the country is that where we're at yes Uh, yeah so they want him to get out of the country or expelled from the country yes barry conveys his plan to the chevalier who flees in the night the next morning barry under disguise as the chevalier is escorted from the prussian territory by podsdorf and other Prussian army officers. Yeah, it's cool. It almost feels like a little heist because he's dressed up like mm. the Chevalier. So he gets escorted by Prussian guards out of the country, which is all he's ever wanted was to get the hell out of there. And they finally do it thinking he's someone else. Um, over the next few years, Barry and the Chevalier uh, travel the spas and parlors of Europe. <laughs> um I, I one of these days, me and you, my man, we're, oh. we're gonna go out there. Every spa in Europe, we're gonna. Dude, we should do a podcast yeah. tour that's also a spa tour. 
<laughs> we're just recording in like a what's it called like a sauna yeah yeah we're recording in like a bally total fitness sauna <laughs> yeah i want to go to one of those like ancient spa ancient greek spas like in uh spartacus yes perfect um so that yeah profiting from their gambling with barry forcing payment from reluctant debtors with sword duels uh seeing that his life is going nowhere barry decides to marry into wealth uh, something that I plan to do one of these days. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm, soon. Prayer, my prayers be with you, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at a gambling table in Spa, he encounters the beautiful and wealthy Countess of Linden. Um, he seduces and later ma- marries her after the death of her elderly husband, Sir Charles Linden. God damn, I cannot imagine. You know how you hear stories of like, yeah, it took like eight hours every morning to like put on the special effects makeup. Oh, I want to yeah. know like how long it took to do this lady's hair. Oh, right. You got, he had to have taken like hours. Yeah. And to think that that is, you know, like par parcel for the time that this took place in that like people were going out every night dressing up, like taking hours and hours to dress up that way and do their, like even yeah. the, even like the men have like long makeup and hair regiments, it seems. Especially the older men, like Charles Linden, who's like has to get in complete white face with red lipstick and uh, <laughs> yeah. fun hair. Uh, yeah. To look beautiful. It's odd. Uh, because Linden is frail, sickly, and old, Barry's uh, groating, goading and verbal repartee ultimately send him into a fit of convulsions that end with his death. Uh, Barry's coup de gras is the assertion that he who laughs last wins. Yes. So that's part one. That is part one, complete with intermission. I love that it ends right when we're we've answered the question of part one. So part one mm. starts with what means Redmond Barry acquired the style and title of Barry Linden. The last thing we see in part one is the death of Charles Linden. So it's like, uh, it's almost like you're that whole part. You, you've kind of forgotten. What am I watching? Why am I watching this? <laughs> and then, yeah. And then it like the death of Charles Linden happens and you're answered. Oh, okay. That's why it's because that whole part, all of that was leading to the circumstances in which he becomes Barry Linden. So part two uh is containing an account of the misfortunes and disasters which befell Barry Lyndon. I love that title. I also think, yes, that's exactly what happens in part two. (laughs) It is misfortunes and disasters. So it starts with them uh, getting married. It's Barry and the Countess Lyndon. They are married. She has a son, Lord Bullington, already. And there's a little carriage ride. I guess they're going to either their house or where they're going to honeymoon or wherever. And we get to see Barry Lyndon already being a true asshole to his wife. He's smoking <laughs> in the in the carriage. And uh, she asks him to stop. And he just blows smoke in her face and then kisses her. And it's like, it's like, this person we just literally saw was in rags, was not in high society, was not. And then we see now that he has arrived there, the narrator even m- mentions like, 
oh yeah, he's begun to consider his wife just another one of the beautiful carpets and tapestries that he owns. Mm. And then we see a scene with Lord Bullington, who's but a young boy at this point, talking to that reverend, the tutor, the the clergy, the man of clergy or whatever, and saying, you know, I think he asks him, like, Lord Bullington, aren't you happy that your mom is married? And he's like, not this way, not this soon, and not with that guy. <laughs> so we're already seeing that there is some trouble in paradise. Um yeah, so Barry is also, during this time, openly unfaithful and enjoys spending his wife's money on self-indulgent luxuries and keeping his wife in seclusion. We also get a scene where they're walking through the park and we see, like, Barry, like, totally making out with a woman next to a baby carriage, an empty baby carriage. And, uh, yeah, and they spot him in the park and we see Lord Bullington hold his mom's hand as if to say like, I've, I'll protect you. Don't worry about this. This is crazy. Um, yeah. Some years mm-hmm. later, Barry's mother comes to live with them at the Linden estates. She warns her son that if lady Linden were to dial, her wealth would go to her firstborn son and leave Barry and Brian. Who's the littlest of the Lindens, freshly born Brian Linden would leave them penniless. Um, so at about this point in, in the second, I guess, act of the film, what are you thinking, Eric? Or, I mean, we're on a, we're in a different kind of trajectory here, right? It's a lot less action packed. There's not really any wars going on or duels so much as there is a lot of frivolity and cheating. Yeah. 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 I like, I like the tension with the, I like the kid. I like the, I like the son. Um, I like that whole that whole storyline. I like that kid a lot. He's like maybe my favorite character yes. <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, for sure. He's great. He's awesome. He's a little. Pre- uh, he's like precocious. He knows more than he should for his age or something. He's cool. Yeah. Also, the Reverend guy is just like really like weird to me <laughs> in like a, a very uh, captivating way. I was like, can't get enough of this guy. He's so. <laughs> He's yeah. so odd. He is so slow and soft-spoken. It's like yeah. very, yeah, it's alarming how slow and soft-spoken some of these performances are. To further his goal, and this would be the goal, to make a name for himself, so to give himself a little bit of security, this is Barry Lyndon we're talking about, he cultivates the acquaintance of the influential Lord Wendover, begins to expand even larger sums of money to ingratiate himself into high society. All this effort is wasted, however, during a birthday party for Lady Linden, L- Lady Linden, a now young adult Lord, whoop, Lord Bullington mm-hmm. crashes the event where he publicly enumerates. Oh wait, before this, we should mention that. Oh. Never mind. Never mind. Um, okay. Yeah. So this is the birthday party, I guess, for, the, for her, for the wife. I, I guess I'm having a trouble oh. conjuring this. So like what? Yeah. It, he yeah. publicly enumerates mm-hmm. the reasons that he detests his stepfather so dearly, declaring his intention to leave the family estate for as long as Barry remains there and married to his mother. Barry viciously assaults Bullingdon until he is physically restrained by the guests. 
This loses yeah, Barry. This is when they're they have they're having that concert. Um, right. The clarinet. The guy's playing the clarinet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I must. Yeah. Maybe I walked out of the room for this part. I'm having a hard time remembering. Is this like after the magic show and stuff, or is that but, coming up? Yeah. Because uh, I, I thought remember. I thought it was the birthday party for this for uh, Brian Linden, like the little boy. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't know. This uh, the fight. The fight was in the at the concert. So. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. So either way, yeah, I guess they get into a huge fight and they send Bullington away. Like so, the the son who's now an adult. It's been eight years, I guess, since we've since they were like kids, and we saw that scene where he's like getting whipped by Barry Lyndon. They said they end up sending Bull- Lord Bullington away. Um. So at this point, he cannot refuse his son anything, Barry Lyndon, and succumbs to uh, Brian's insistence on receiving a full-grown horse for his ninth ninth birthday. Barry tells him to never ride the horse without him, and the wife also tells him not to do this again, like not, not to do it. But Brian sneaks out of the house, gets on this horse who's not fully broken in yet, and uh, gets in a huge horse accident. <laughs> And yeah, by the time Barry sees his son again, he's on a stretcher being brought back to the house. It looks like he has a head injury, but the details of his injuries are not really specified, I guess. Um, but the next time we see Brian after this, he's on his deathbed. His head is completely wrapped in bandages and we get what is what I'm going to call was like one of the most excruciating child death scenes in all of film history. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you think yeah. of this scene? This scene is, I guess, pretty important. It also is a tonal shift because we don't see a lot of like crying in the film. No, we don't. Um, I, it's like this part of the movie for some reason is like foggy to me. I don't know if it was just like, yeah, um, well, it's a long movie, so that's understandable. Yeah. I mean, I just forgot the part right before this. So, uh, yeah. did you do you remember though? He's like dying in bed, the little kid, and he's like asking if he'll he'll go to heaven and stuff. Yeah, he's all yeah, he's all wrapped up and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he's like um, he's like the poor. He's like basically Oliver Twist in bed, going like, Father. Will I go to heaven if I die? <laughs> and everyone's just crying uncontrollably because it's so sad. And then he's like, Mother, give me your hand. Father, give me your hand. Please, once I'm dead, never quarrel. Or else we might not all see each other in heaven again. It's like <laughs> the saddest scene in all of film ever. And it just keeps hammering home the Barry Lyndon theme over it over and over and over, which we will get to that later. I think it's like an amazing score. This film has like an amazing score, but uh, yeah, it's, it's excruciating. It's like, it's not comedy, right? Cause it, it is affecting emotionally affecting, but it's so over the, it's so like, uh, I don't know, charged or something with like things you just never see on screen that, it's yeah. almost funny, if that makes sense. It's almost becoming a sketch of like the saddest child death. <laughs> you like <laughs> the saddest, slowest yeah. child death. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so the grief-stricken Barry turns to alcohol while Lady Linden seeks solace in religion, assisted by Reverend Samuel Runt, uh, who had been a tutor first to Lord Bullington. 
and then to Brian. So left in charge of the family's affairs while Barry and Lady Lyndon grieve. Barry's mother is given like all the power. Remember this? Um, Uh Uh-huh. So she's like always doing paperwork. I'm sure just spending money and assigning duties and tasks. Well, one of the things she does is fire the reverend, Samuel Runt. So uh, she tries to fire him and Runt's like, well, you don't have the authority to do that. And Lady Linden, he's like, only Lady Linden can fire me. And she's like, well, she, she's insane right now, so she can't do it, and I'm doing it. So Runt leaves, and this makes Lady Linden so grief-stricken on top of losing a child that she attempts suicide by ingesting a, a bunch of poison. It just makes her ill. So the Reverend and the family's accountant, Graham, seek out Lord, uh, seek out Lord Bullington, who we haven't seen in a minute. He's been off. Upon hearing these events, Lord Bullington returns to England. Which one is Bullington again? He's the son. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lord Bullington is the son. So this is the part where the Reverend and like the other accountant guy, they basically tell Bullington what's going on. And we get this scene that's like in some sort of kitchen and it's Lord Bullington like pacing back and forth. Do you remember this? He like paces back and forth for a long time. Mm. And he's like saying like, I know now what I must do. (laughs) Yeah. Like that kind of thing. So what he does is he goes to keep in mind, this is like a young man. Barry Lyndon is, you know, now at this point, much older than when we started the film. And it's almost like feels like the film has left following Barry Lyndon at all. And is now the main character of the film is like, Lord Bullington. It almost feels like it has switched. Uh, Lord Bullington goes to this, basically what is like a gross, like gentleman's club, like a, a drinking hole. And he finds his stepdad, Barry Lyndon, a drunk and asleep there in like a billiards area. He taps him on the foot a couple times. This is the scene where I was telling you, like the guy looks painted behind him um, and wakes him up and challenges him to a duel. So cut to we're in a we're in a it's like a barn. It's like a barn, right? I think that's that was what I thought. Yeah, because yeah, there's like birds and shit and hay. Yeah, so it's like a barn. Yeah. Even though there are like cross shaped holes cut into the wall like to make it look kinda like a church. It's like I think it's a barn. It's a very cool location. It's a very like iconic yeah. looking place. So I'm gonna describe this scene carefully because this is the only part of this is the this is the part of the film that's my favorite and probably i think i don't know ha- has the most weight to it but yeah. like it's my favorite too yeah I like yeah i think it's in a, it, it's it's pretty easy to see why right because it's like it, it's set up as such we've already seen a number of duels throughout the film but now this is a duel between barry linden and his stepson who hates him Barry Lyndon knows that his stepson at this point hates him for a good reason. Barry Lyndon, I don't think, is any stranger to the idea that he is a piece of shit. You can (laughs) see it in his performance. Like, he's bummed out that this is happening. And Lord Bullington, the son, is angry, but he's also nervous. So after an excruciatingly long sequence where we get them slowly loading their pistols, they hand their pistols over to Barry and Lord Bullington they toss a coin to see who will shoot first. So we already can tell like, this is not a duel like the duels we've seen before because this isn't like walk 10 paces and shoot at each other. This is no, we flip to see who shoots first. 
so it's different, I guess. We right. We flip. Lord Bullington calls heads. We actually get heads. So Lord Bullington gets the first shot. All is looking like it's going to Lord Bullington's plan. He's about to be done with Barry Lyndon forever. So, so what's the the game here? Is like they're both. It's not like roulette. Like they yeah. both have bullets that are just going to shoot. Right. It's just a matter of like aim. It well, yes, and and so this is something that I've. I, I maybe I looked it up. Maybe I'm making this up. No, I'm not definitely not making it up. Guns back then were not like guns today. Like if you had a gun in your hand today and you shot straight at somebody, it, you'd probably hit them. Like guns back then were a little bit more chance and luck involved. Like bullets didn't fly incredibly straight necessarily. Uh, okay. your, your pistol could also be because things were like more hand manufactured back then they, your pistol could just suck it could like curve to the left or to the right so even though you were aiming it right at somebody from 10 paces away there's still a little bit of skill involved so basically if you were to accept a duel from a person you'd have to size up okay even if they got to go first do I think they would hit me on their first try versus do I think I could hit them on my first try? And honestly, the more I research about duels, like Alexander Hamilton and other people who are famous for dueling, it was more about being a... It was more about arrogance than anything else. Like, you were in a duel because you were a cocky bastard. Like, you thought, (laughs) like, your shit was hot and their shit was not, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, it really... The type of people who are in duels anyways are probably like the type of guys that would challenge you to a bar fight today or something. Um, So yes, the game here is we flip to see who goes first. And even if somebody does go first, you might actually have a chance. Although it definitely makes Barry Lyndon look very nervous. He turns to his side. They spend an excruciating amount of time, like drawing the chalk on the floor and making, you know, Barry stand 10 paces away uh, they're asking him so slowly if he's ready to receive Lord Bullington's fire. <laughs> and he's like, yes. Yeah. And then we see a shaky Lord Bullington. He's shaking his guns in his yeah. hand and it goes off. And it's not like they're like cock your pistol. And it just, his gun just goes off in his hand. Um, and it just hits like, who knows what probably ends up in a town away. <laughs> just like, Nowhere near yeah. Barry Lyndon. It's one of the chickens. It's one of the chickens. And uh, Lord Boynton's like, uh, clearly there's something wrong with my gun. And they're like, no, you just nervously fired. And that's actually part of the rules. Like that was your first shot now. So now it's Barry's yeah. turn. <laughs> he like barfs too, doesn't he? Yeah. So he immediately pukes. He's already so nervous. Now he's crying and sweating and throwing (laughs) up and he's gonna die like he just knows he's gonna die and we as the audience are like yeah you're gonna die like this is the dramatic irony the dramatic twist of this scene well barry linden who we've a little bit underestimated at this point thinking he's just a scumbag sees that his stepson who he is the like sole reason for all of his grief this this boy's grief and basically drove his mother into insanity and ruined his whole life. Barry decides to have mercy on Lord Bullington and on three, instead of shooting him with the pistol, aims it at the ground and shoots there. 
So mm-hmm. he spares Lord Bullington's life. So they ask Lord Bullington, since <laughs> now we see that Barry Lyndon has spared him by shooting at the ground, does this meet your satisfaction? And Lord Bullington says, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is the best part of the movie. He says, no. The whole audience goes, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, through tears and still shaking, he gets another gun loaded with a bullet and shoots Barry Lyndon directly, I guess in the hip is sort of where he shot him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess even though Barry Lyndon spared Lord Bullington's life, it was not good enough to save Barry Lyndon inevitably from getting shot in his left leg. Uh, at a nearby inn, the surgeon informs Barry that the leg will need to be amputated below the knee if he is to survive. And then the movie does go on from here a little bit, which mm. I, you know, mm. probably even longer than I would have put, but not by not much. It's about 10, 20 minutes. While Barry is recovering, Bullington retakes control of the Linden estate. A few days later, Lord Bullington sends a very nervous Graham to the inn with the proposition. Lord Bullington will grant Barry an annuity of 500 guineas a year on the condition that he leave England with payments ending the moment Barry should ever return. Otherwise with his credit and bank accounts exhausted, Barry's creditors and bill collectors will assuredly see that he is jailed defeated in mind and body. Barry accepts humiliated. He hobbles on crutches to his carriage. The narrator states that Barry went first back to Ireland with his mother. Then once he was fully recovered, he traveled to the European continent to resume his former profession of gambler, though without his former success. Barry kept his word and never returned to England, never saw Lady Linden again. The final scene, set in December 1789, shows a middle-aged Lady Linden signing Barry's annuity check as her son looks on. Mm. Yep. And that is the end of Barry Lyndon, <laughs> the rock and roll, uh, the, the king of rock and roll, Barry Lyndon, the loudest guitar squealingest uh, solo movie you've ever seen. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a real rocker, that guy. Yeah, um, this movie, wow, what a neck breaking pace! What a <laughs> yeah, you could see I sort of like. F- completely forgot i don't know what was i was like a pretty attentive during this movie <laughs> i didn't you know i did watch it like a week ago though so that might be it I, that I was might have been forgetting it. some stuff but you also might have been watching it and also not knowing what was going on because yeah that's, that's true too yeah that's how i watched it the first time is i like think i did, took in the basics but i didn't really like understand the gravity of what was happening or like why so there's a couple things, right? One is this, there is a score in this film or a theme rather a musical theme that is, um, like done in like multiple different compositions, right? Like in arrangements and you hear it over and over and over and over, you know what song I'm talking about, right? A scream. What did you say? A scream, a theme, Oh, a theme. Like a theme <laughs> oh song. God. Like a, a oh, okay. that like bum, 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 yeah, bum, yeah, yeah, yeah. bum. Yeah, it's like it ha- it plays constantly throughout the film. 
Uh-huh. It's so beautiful and so cool. And it's like, even though they play it over and over and over, I want to hear every variation of it, every arrangement of it. I never get tired of hearing that theme. There's something so powerful about it that it's really hard to put my finger on. And it's it's one of the things I think is most Kubrickian about this film is just, it's like, it's like the characters and players in the film are ants and Stanley Kubrick himself is God or something. He's like the one controlling all the pawns on the table. And he's showing you like his idea of life and death, his idea of power and struggle, like his idea of the world as through the lens of these like stuffy British socialites or whatever. And it's such a strange tone because I would say the movie is very like flat. Like a lot of the, even the, even the shots are composed very two dimensionally, like a painting. Um, and like the performances are, are, some are really good, but they're not given much to do. Right. Like people aren't like acting emotionally very often in the film. So a lot of times people are just delivering dialogue, pretty dead, deadpan or like straight down the barrel, you know? Um, it just creates such a crazy environment to tell this, what I would call it almost like a Dickensian story. Like this reminds me of like Charles Dickens kind of like. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. It's like a, like a Christmas Carol or something. It's like uh, a fable, like don't do this, you know, don't be greedy or <laughs> whatever. Um, but yeah, like when you finally get to that end, when you see the, the duel between Lord Bullington and Barry Lyndon. It's almost like the whole film comes into focus. Like it all makes sense. Like we see that this has all been building to this one moment. Every scene has been like steadily marching onward so that we can get to this moment where Barry actually gets what's coming to him in the way that he's been giving it to everyone else, which is in duels. So like, I don't know. It it is like a weird tale of like, even if you get power or how, depending on how you get it or, you know, like if you get it a certain way, you go the sociopath route and you try to just fuck over everyone on your way to the top. Like this will inevitably happen. And sometimes it comes to you in obvious ways, like it did his dad. Or sometimes it comes in like less obvious ways. Like, you treat your stepson, the meaningless Lord Bullington, you treat him badly for long enough and he rises up and does take you out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So it remains to be my favorite only because it's the scope of it is so magnificent to me. It's like different than any other Kubrick film. And I, which is also why I can understand why it's not talked about as much because it, this isn't like Clockwork Orange. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't like The Shining. The Shining and Clockwork Orange and Eyes Wide Shut, they all take place over the course of, like, not that long, right? There may be a year for Clockwork Orange. Maybe, you know, Full Metal Jacket's a cup, maybe like a year. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut takes place over a couple of days, you know? The Shining is a couple of days or, you know, the summer or whatever they're at the... Or the winter that they're at, like, the hotel. Um, This is, like, takes place over, like... Uh, like 50 years it's like it's like a epic or something um and it's just like 
anyone else with this material would do something completely different. They would rewrite the hell of it. They would say like, there's not enough emotion here. There's not enough uh, relationships here. Like, what is this? What is this even about? Like no one's doing anything in it, (laughs) but Kubrick takes the material and somehow makes it into this masterful, ironic, dark, like really cold, calculated, almost like robotic surgery of a film um but yeah i mean that's that's barry linden to me eric i gotta hear what do you think i'm a fan i'm a fan of barry linden i like barry linden a lot um you know my sta- my stance is pretty much the same as the beginning of the episode it's it's kind of like in the middle for me it's it's not my favorite not definitely not my least favorite um it's 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 very good. It's a good movie. Uh, one thing that I really like about it is just having read like interviews with Kubrick about it and and um, doing like a little research beforehand and realizing like how much research that Kubrick did for this. Um, it was interesting to watch because I just kind of like trusted everything that I was looking at to be like. Uh, as realistic as possible, which is, I, I think, what Kubrick was going for uh, in terms of, like, what things were actually like in this in this time, in these in these situations. And uh, I thought that was pretty, pretty fascinating. Um, I think I like the humor of the movie, like, the most. I think I really like the humor of it. Obvi- obviously, that last duel is, like, a real nail-biter. Nail it's very fun. Um... Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's uh I I will say the one thing to me is like Barry Lyndon, like Ryan O'Neal's like he's I like him in it, but it's also <laughs> I don't know if it's him or if it's his character, but I'm like you know, I'm not necessarily rooting for this guy and I know that you're not supposed to, but there's like I don't know. That character could be a little bit more uh endearing or something or uh, I I just I was just kind of like I don't know about this guy. Like, it's like a, it's like an interesting like story of like anyone, anyone in that situation. Uh, it would be an interesting sort of like journey to see someone go on. But uh, I, I don't know that I necessarily love like the character of of Barry Lyndon mm-hmm. uh, as much as I like just sort of like the weird journey that he goes on and and the situations he finds himself in. Um, but that being said, there are some like very funny moments with Ryan O'Neill where I'm like, oh, maybe he is, maybe he was, you know, the perfect, perfect choice. I don't know, but uh, I, I like this movie a lot. I'm a big fan. Uh, you know, it, it probably if I do watch it again, it probably will also be another ten years. Yeah, because uh, who's got the time? But uh, yeah, yeah, I like I, I like it. Well. <laughs> One of the questions I kept asking myself, and I wonder if you had a similar thought, was like, why make this? Like, why make this movie? Like, I, I don't know. I, it's See, like, a movie about Napoleon, to me, makes sense. Because he's like a famous historical figure whose, you know, life in military maybe even parallels that of Kubrick's in filmmaking or something. Like, it feels like right Every other one of Kubrick's movies also like the subject of the film feels worth doing a movie about. Does that make sense? Like Clockwork Orange, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like the unfilmable book or something. Lolita, the unfilmable book, uh, The Shining, 
you know, that, a masterpiece and like not a moment wasted, Full Metal Jacket, Vietnam War, like all these subjects seem like they make sense on why you would do a film about it. What is this movie about? You know, other than like the themes I said, like, why would you make this? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, well, we mentioned at the beginning, he, he, I guess Kubrick wanted to do something with all the Napoleon research, which I, I kind of get. I guess that's not like, um, I don't know. I don't know if that is like, I, I, I mean, I think this movie turned out really well. I don't know if that is like the best sort of approach is like, well, I did this other project that I, that isn't going to work out. Maybe I can like use all this work that I put in to to do, tell a different story. Um, you know that could go that could go that could be all right. Like in this case, or that that could have could have been a train wreck. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it I I think it worked. It is like you're right. It is kind of it's interesting that he was like, this is, this is the story that I, that I want to, that I want to tell, uh, you know, cu- especially coming off of strange love 2001 and then, um, clockwork orange. It's like kind of wild to follow it up with that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's also like the film of his that has won the most Academy awards. Like, I don't even know what other films, I mean, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who was nominated for what of any of his other films, right? But I know that 2001, I think it won an Academy Award for maybe like special effects. But this film won four Academy Awards. And it's like, yeah, I guess because it's a period piece. But it's like also like, I don't know. I, I, I still, this one still confounds me because it doesn't, it also doesn't have any of the, like Kubrick iconicness to it. Like can't like when I, when I say the shining, it conjures up like a billion images, right? Like mm-hmm. when I say full metal jacket, you immediately think of Sar- private pile and you know, uh, the drill sergeant and, you know, maybe even think of like the ending or whatever eyes wide shut. You think of all the people in the masks, like Barry Lyndon. All you think of is like what stuff like, like, like stuffy British men standing <laughs> there's like yeah there's like yeah. no real iconic like like set piece or like or like hook to the film like if i, I it's like it's such a hard film to recommend because you're like like what's barry linden about and you're like oh it's about uh well like i ask you eric what would you say if someone asked you what is barry linden about <laughs> I I think that it's about like a specific time period and place more than a, more than a character or a story. Yeah, but like, doesn't that sound so boring? <laughs> it does. Yeah, exactly. That's why I never yeah. watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, yeah. I recommend it. I think people should watch it. Um, maybe I'll, you know, I have a few Kubrick movies left to go. Maybe I'll sour on it as we get to into, you know, the sh- the Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut. Maybe because Eyes Wide Shut is another is like a close, another close one for me is favorite. Uh, yeah, it's like The Shining, this and Eyes Wide Shut. But but yeah, yeah. Well, Jeremy, we have uh, you know we have to do an episode in honor of Barry Lyndon. We have to do a three hour episode. So we got you want to just go through the plot one more time or <laughs> what do you want to yeah. do? Let's start from the top, but let's this time emphasize the parts that didn't matter yeah yeah 
Uh, folks, uh, find us on Twitter at Chucky Rules 420, Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy for uh, 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 but your your bon- our bonus episodes. Uh, my brain like stopped working like ten minutes ago for some reason. Uh, our bonus episodes uh, at Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. One dollar you can listen to them right now. Uh, pretty insane deal. And, uh, yeah, next week we will be covering, I believe, The Straight Story. Yes. Oh, fuck. I have never seen The Straight Story. Very excited. Yes. Me me neither. So it should be be a good combo. And, uh, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams.